Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome to a special Tacoma Defiance edition of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today are... I, I, we'll call them our defiance experts. Uh, Dave Clark, who you may know is is actually, in addition to being uh, a Sounder at Heart staffer, he is also the color voice on Tacoma Defiance home broadcasts. And uh, Tim Foss, who does most of our coverage of the defiance on Sounder at Heart. Uh, how's it going, guys? It's going all right. Yeah. I got it. One of these days, I'm going to figure out a good way to introduce everybody that doesn't ask everyone to talk over each other but alas today is not that day uh we come to you in an odd time uh the defiance who i don't know um, a month or two ago i think i said would definitely make the playoffs i think i maybe had this conversation with dave like there was no doubt in my mind the only question was how high up in the table would they finish uh they they were having they were enjoying arguably their best seasons maybe ever uh if, if not then, certainly since year one, which was the only year that they made the playoffs way back in those S2 days. But ever since then, they have absolutely fallen apart. Seven-game losing streak after last night's loss to Austin Bold. That's the first seven-game losing streak in Defiance history, which is really saying something. Uh, Dave, this is... I don't know. What's happened? Uh, how bad is this? Uh, it's it's pretty bad. There was a one night calling a game where they were we ended the game and they were in second place. Now there were there's a half hour left in two other games. They ended that night in fourth, but uh, for a half hour they were in second place and there was a chance that they host a playoff game at Cheney Stadium. They are now in seventh place, and um, when you compare them to other MLS two teams. There was a time when the LA Galaxy 2 were in seventh and Defiance were in that second to fourth range. And now Galaxy 2 are in fourth and Defiance are, are again seventh. Uh, they went from being the, the best, uh, a top 10 power rankings type team, uh, the best of the MLS 2s to uh, basically what most MLS 2s are is just getting hammered constantly. But they're not really getting hammered. I think that's what's interesting about this and what's kind of frustrating watching it from a distance is that they're losing a lot of games. You know, they've lost, I think, three games, 1-0. They've lost a, a few games, 2-1. They have two two-goal losses in there where they gave up three goals. But even those weren't, like, complete. Like, we're used to seeing the Defiance just get absolutely smashed and being outclassed, and that's kind of what it's been for the last, I don't know, six years or so. But this year's been a little different. Uh They've been competitive even in the games that they've been losing. And I would say that's, I don't know, Tim, does it, is that fair to say that that's been true even during this, this losing streak? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's funny to look and 
see where they're at in the standings and they went from being in second to seventh, they really only fell out of a playoff place fairly recently. And even then they're four points back from being in fourth with a game in hand on the Oakland roots. Um, you know, they've got six games left to make up that distance. If they can stop this slide, then it's still very much within the realm of possibility. And to your point where in previous seasons, they'd have good runs of games and then they'd lose four or five to one or to nothing. And even in these games where looking at like they lost three to one to Phoenix, which is a, an elite usl team they were very much in that game until a kind of cratering late where phoenix put two on them and they just couldn't respond but they've that was they've, also the game that atencio got red carded in like the 50 some odd minute they they were comp- they kept phoenix to basically a 1-1 draw in until late in the game despite being down a man um so it, they're definitely when you're talking about better than they used to be that's a great example sorry to interrupt him no i think that's a i mean that's a good point they're they're a very young team in some ways you know you've got juan alvarez and obed vargas getting significant minutes but even there, like obed vargas leads the team in duels he's got over 200 duels and has won more than 50 percent of his duels like that's not a large dude and he's young and he's getting in there and he's mixing it up um but to dave's point like the real the real struggle has been goal scoring sam adeneron leads the team with seven goals and you know some of them are repeatable things and if you keep scoring bangers i guess at a certain point that's a repeatable action but by and large they don't you know they can create chances but they don't really have a consistent way of putting the ball in the back of the net unless someone creates magic of some sort. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's where they're struggling. You know, I, yeah, I was, but- was going to say, I was watching last night's game and there was a moment that I thought sort of sums up your point pretty well. I, I want to think saying it was Sam and Denneran got sent down the left wing, sent in a cross that found Ray Serrano basically all alone in front of goal. And instead of hitting it first time, like who knows maybe he just it didn't set up for right for him what but whatever instead of hitting it first time he he collects it and he passes it around and they don't even get a shot off this was like essentially a breakaway a two one i want to say it was like a two on one breakaway they don't even get a shot off and it just kind of illustrates how much trouble this team has had scoring the ball i mean i think they only have what four goals during this seven game losing streak it's like their defense hasn't been necessarily lights out but they have lost all ability to to really generate consistent offense yeah if they'd scored a goal a game um it's not a losing streak you know <laughs> it, right it's just not if, if they were effective at goal scoring you, you talk about that breakaway and i think alec with uh, alec diaz was proper to let that uh he kind of dummied it um and let it run by him because he was well marked and ray wasn't but the alec diaz of 2020 bangs that home through or around both the defender and the keeper because he was that good in 2020 and this year he hasn't been that good like if he was putting up his 2020 numbers uh we're not talking about a broken offense um because they'd have two guys that look likely to get about 10 goals in the season and instead uh 
race run was the number two offensive threat with three goals and six assists, but two of those goals came in a four, two loss to Colorado spring switchbacks. And he's playing as a right wing back. Uh, well, right wing back underneath forward and right wing. Um, right. They, yeah. They I guess play it's all over the place. Yeah. He's the, uh, the Christian rolled on basically of, uh, of defiance right now. Um, so, you know, really he only has one goal in that's made a difference. Uh, and then Alex Villanueva is the number three attacking threat on the team. He's the left wing back. And uh, I think it's, two goals and three assists. So um, Danny Robles has uh, dropped back a position. And so it hasn't been as effective. Marlon Vargas hasn't been effective. Alec Diaz. And those are three dudes that uh, in the 2020 COVID shortened season were effective. And if even one of them was putting up those 2020 numbers, uh, the offense, uh, you know, they're probably at, a, at an even goal differential rather than a, a negative seven on the year. And you're looking at a team that's would be currently in fourth and San Diego has gotten good enough that they, they wouldn't be in second, but um, it's really, they've got to find a way to fix the offense. So Wade's switched it up a couple of times, has played Diaz and a dinner in together a few times as a double forward set um, has tried Ray Serrano in more advanced positions since he was doing well as a provider, moved Danny Robles up from defensive mid into one of those underneath uh midfielder roles and so far none of those moves have unlocked the offense is this i guess this is the the real question is you know the the team has never been about results as a primary it's more like the results are more a means to an end not an end into itself but how big of a deal is this season like how how big of a deal is the unraveling of the season is it something that should be cause for concern outside of, you know, the team itself, who I'm sure is very frustrated with these results. I, I don't know. I think uh, Tim would agree with me on, on this, that uh, there is a mental fortitude on this team. That's much stronger than we've seen in, in many years uh, in the past, uh, a losing streak like this, you wouldn't think that they'd be able to pull themselves out of it because you'd see hanging heads and, and clear visible signs of, of, disappointment and i don't get that from these guys i don't feel like yes they've had the worst losing streak in s2 and defiance history but i i don't i think mentally they're a stronger team than ever before like they have confidence and belief in each other that hasn't been exhibited in the past yeah i think even in the game last night i mean they went down a goal and they seem still for a long time like the team most likely to win that game um, and it should be said the goal kind of came out of no nowhere uh yeah. i mean it was a great hit and it wasn't like they were playing austin bold off the field but i thought they throughout the game created the better chances go ahead tim sorry oh i i think you know it's really tough to say especially with so much still up in the air about the mls reserve league um i think if this were a season where Wade Weber takes over and takes them to the playoffs. The case for keeping the team in the USL championship is much stronger. Um, I certainly don't have any insight into what those conversations look like, but if for another season, they miss out on the playoffs, I think if you were someone inside of the 
decision-making group for the Sounders, it becomes easier to say, maybe we just should do this MLS reserve thing. Um, it is, I mean, it's, it's just such a weird season. The slide really, I think, you know, they had a, I think 10 or 11 day stretch where they just inexplicably didn't have any games. Well, no one else seems to have a buy. And I think that kind of sucked some of the energy out. It seemed like, uh, but it's, it's just been a weird season. Yeah. And this, this match uh, in particular was originally supposed to be, I want to say May 30th. And that was when they were going on a, on a pretty decent run. Um, or yeah, they'd started off with a draw and two wins. And then they were supposed to be in Austin in early May when they looked really good having uh, smashed uh, San Diego loyal and and beaten orange County. And instead it's uh, jammed into a midweek trip to Austin. um, And then they'll have short rest uh, for their home game here this weekend. So, you know, they've been, they've had two matches rescheduled, um, both of those wound up as losses and both of them were originally uh, scheduled during uh, periods where the team was at a strength. The other one being an Oakland roots game that was supposed to be down there, but uh, roots had a uh, COVID outbreak. And so missed like two weeks. And that was when defiance was uh, uh, that was when they were in the middle of their eight match unbeaten run. And instead that gets uh, moved to the weird, um, bizarre field that Oakland roots play on with the clearly visible AstroTurf pattern to it. And, uh, Lamy college. Team, yeah. Every single team has despised playing on that surface. Um, so, uh, Oakland crushed defiance in, in that game, whereas the original one defiance were running away with things. So, um, it's not to blame those things like defiance are, are good enough that they should have won once or twice here during this, this, this losing streak. And they should have drawn to two other times, probably um, like last night, I was just looking up the, uh, the five thirty eight um, expected goal numbers were Austin 1.2 defiance 0.9. So a one, one draw there would have been pretty neat. You know um, they didn't do it. It's just kind of the the way things have gone for Tacoma is uh, they look, they just look a lot more competitive than, than we're used to uh, with this team. And a lot of it has to do, I think with, with Wade uh, coach Weber has got a, a mental fortitude to the side that um, is really demonstrated by the defense, which outside of Phoenix rising in the Colorado Springs switchbacks, the defense has been good. And, you know, they've been missing one of their, who I thought had been one of their real key components during some of their best stretches was Andrew Thomas had been really good for them in in goal. He apparently suffered some sort of injury. We haven't been able to confirm what the injury was, but we did confirm that he had some sort of injury, but he's been out this whole losing streak. Yeah, he, uh, he was two, one and three, or sorry, three, three three three. and one. Three, one, and three. There we go. Three, one, and three. Um, the only loss was a one nothing loss to Las Vegas Lights. Uh, he looked uh, looked solid. It looked like uh, if he had continued, um, I think there was some 
some possibility that he would have been the number three for the Sounders next year rather than the the four in an organization that has way too many goalkeepers under control because they also have Trey Muse on loan. Christian Herrera as the natural defiance uh, goalkeeper. And then TJ Bush, their drafted keeper, is uh, now a professional out in Richmond. So, um, but I think Thomas looked extraordinarily good and exactly what you'd like to see from your third keeper, just crushing things in the USL championship, ready to, to step in if needed at, at the, uh, the, the MLS level. Um, clearly the best keeper for defiance this year. Yeah, it's, it, I, I would say there's still probably a decent chance he's the number three goalkeeper next year, if only because it feels to me like Stephen Cleveland is not long for the Sounders. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him starting for a different MLS team next year. Uh, and in, 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 in that case, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Andrew Thomas uh, kind of elevated to a more prominent first team role. Uh, you know, maybe even competing with Spencer Ritchie for the backup job, assuming Ritchie's back. But other than Thomas, I, I do think we've learned a fair amount about the players on this team. And at least to my eye, there are more players close to being MLS contributors than this team has ever had. Like, and I go all the way back to 2014 when I don't know that any players on that team, other than Aaron Long, uh, big asterisk, uh, ended up being significant MLS contributors. But who who are some of the players that we should be watching? Who are some of the players that have impressed you? Obviously, the main the main point of this team is developing players for the first team, and and it does seem like they've accomplished some forward momentum there. Yeah, I think there are a number of good shouts for guys who are approaching an MLS level, whether that's with the Sounders or with somebody else. Um, we've talked about him a fair bit, but Sam Adeneron seems like a pretty clear choice. He's really quick. He's got a big frame. He, it can be kind of hit or miss, but he does have a pretty solid touch and, he is a very good defensive and pressing forward. I think whether it's with the Sounders or, you know, like I would not be surprised if he, if he doesn't land with the Sounders, if like Peter Vermees takes a look at him, um, I think he could, I would hate to see it, but I feel like he could thrive in a system like that where he only needs to contribute a few actual goals a season and otherwise just create chaos um yeah he's a great defensive forward and uh, he does fit into the peter vermes uh, forward very high up the pitch technique he, he he enjoys doing that um i don't know if it's intentional but he seems to collect a lot of fouls for a forward um so that's probably that's probably a fit where um yeah he's he could be a third or fourth forward on an mls team right now you know notably the sounders don't really have a third forward until jordan morris gets back so um, we were, we've, we've often been surprised uh, as we chat in Slack that a dinner and would make a lot of sense on this team, even if it's only five minutes, every three weeks kind of thing. And then who, who are the, like, I know the player that I have long been a fan of, and I hope 
I, I feel like has made a big jump in his progression is Ray Serrano. Yeah, I, I, I described him as kind of a Christian Roldan type earlier, um, just because he, he can play in so many different positions on the pitch. But he's also one of those workhorses um, who can run and sprint constantly. Uh, his vision is getting better. You can see that in his assists. Um, USL only does primary assists. So he has six primary assists, which would probably be something be at nine or 10 if uh, the league tracks secondary. Uh, he's been pretty effective. Um, I don't know if he's, he's MLS ready quite yet, but he might be the type of guy that the Sounders could sign. Um, similar to how Danny Leva was probably expected to be used this season, where a majority of the season would be with Tacoma and then only coming up once in a while. I think that's what we thought Danny Leva was going to have happen this year and last year, but then COVID and the, the injury crisis happened. So we didn't get that. So I, I do think that, that Ray definitely has an MLS uh, future. And I really hope it's with this org. Um, he was, he's the most successful of their outreach to the, to the dry side. Um, the best product that's come out of that so far. And I think that it's, it's really important to maintain those connections. And uh, I'll just say Dan, he damn well better be in the organization next year. That's for certain. He's also a guy that I think if the team's offense were firing better and firing sort of being the key word, but he leads the team with key passes with 30 in about 16 games worth of nineties. I think he's got right around 1500 minutes. Um, if the strikers he was playing the ball to were doing a little bit better of putting the ball in the back of the net, his assists probably go up a little bit higher. Um, another guy that I, I have been really impressed with cause I, you know, I hadn't gotten to watch a ton of him in college and wasn't totally sure what he was going to look like was I think maybe Dave's favorite center back Jackson Reagan, who has entirely too good of feet for a man, his size. Um, he is six foot six and dribbles like a five foot four maestro. It is incredible. So why do you, what do we know why he was even available? Like the Sounders don't actually control his MLS rights. The fire drafted him. I know the Sounders were thinking about drafting him if he had fallen to them, but they didn't have that opportunity. I think Jackson Jackson was picked before the Sounders had a had a selection, I believe. Uh, but Dave, do you know much about his his story? I think the the idea there was they weren't one hundred percent certain that he was a first round talent, so they wanted to give him the opportunity to get that MLS money. Uh, and then he didn't crack through the fires uh, training camp, which. I mean, the fire have been making poor soccer decisions for quite a few years now, so not a big deal. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and when the fire also don't have any formal affiliate, let alone um, a League One or USL championship side. So he needed to get minutes, and I think it made sense for him to come back here um, only on a USL deal. I fully expect something like a lower, lower round pick or minimum allocation money swapped to bring him on an MLS deal. I think the organization is very happy with how he has performed. Um, he, he's slotted right in and it gives the, the three back set for the, the defiance, a uh, four great options. Um, so it's been good seeing him succeed. 
the guy I was going to bring up, uh, I'm, I'm glad that Tim brought it up, but um, one that I think will get a look at MLS camp next year, uh, if, he's, if his paperwork is done, is Tom Bruitt, the 24-year-old Liverpool center back. Uh, he's been the captain when Taylor Mueller's out. Um, he's working towards his U.S. citizenship, absolutely loves living in, in the Pacific Northwest, travels all over the region when he can. And uh, he has been a more than solid center back. He's the smallest of the defiance center backs, but has an MLS body for the position. Definitely is not a, a small man. He, he yeah. certainly doesn't play like he's the smallest, I would say for sure. Yeah, it, none of them do. I mean, the, the, even Eric Kinsner, the youngster of the, of the, bigger four, of the big four center backs, uh, will knock you on your ass maybe a little t- too easily. Um, he was actually I, training I think, with the Sounders yesterday. Yeah, it, it's good for him. Like, if he's not going to be the starter, might as well stay home and, and train alongside the, the first team. It's a good look for Eric. Uh, Eric's got a cool story uh, as being the first Tacoma kid to to play for Tacoma Defiance too. I just think that center backs need more years of uh, of polish, and so I'd rank him as the third most likely center back to get signed. But I think there's there's a future where um, of the Sounders six center backs in in 2021, three of them are Defiance players in. Uh, Sissoko, well, four of them, I guess, Nuhu, Sissoko, Reagan, and Bruitt could all be MLS Sounders next year in a very feasible, understandable way. And I think we've seen that, you know, Sissoko is a fine uh, fourth or fifth center back in MLS. And if you can get four to four to five quality out of Reagan and or Bruitt, um, and you're doing it with uh, three guys that are basically at league minimum and costing you only one international slot, uh, because Bruitt's pursuing citizenship, uh, that's a you like imagine from an organizational level. Um, I know MLS won't care because all all of them would be over t- twenty two, so it's not really a play your kids moment. But uh, including I think that's Kinsner, a huge, well, uh, Kinsner, I don't expect to be in MLS next year. Oh, but okay. The the four that would have developed would have been Nuhu, the former S two player. Sissoko, who clearly earned his time, uh, not just due to injury need. Reagan, who um, wouldn't surprise any of us signing. And then Bruitt, if he gets yeah. his citizenship, would make sense as well. Sure. Um, sure, sure. Heck, even Josh Atencio can slip back. Um, I just, to me, there's a foreseeable future where um, the Sounders' depth on that back line is essentially Tacoma. Um, yeah. And guys that performed well not just signed because they were young and there was a fear of poaching, you know, the FC Dallas method, but signed because they played well at the lower level. So the other player who has stuck out to me and who has seen some first time or first team minutes or not the other player, but one of the other players is Alex Villanueva, who I, (laughs) Tim, you've described his game as saucy. I adore watching Alex Villanueva. Um, I think in previous seasons that, you know, one clear area of weakness in his game was that his passing was pretty sloppy. His numbers were generally low and not good. Um, But he's, I mean, the whole team's passing has improved a lot this season under Wade Weber. He's a 
high 70% passing and his passing is typically pretty dangerous. Um, he is a converted winger who came through. I don't remember if he was at the Barca Arizona Academy or if it was, I think he might've been there when it was still RSL, but um, has moved back as he switched over to the Sounders program and still very clearly plays like he's a winger when he gets forward and he is a dribbly tricky winger. Um, he had a mean free kick, had a mean free kick goal the other day. That free kick is ridiculous and absolutely not something I knew was in his locker. Um, but he, I don't think he did. <laughs> uh, I, I think if he can continue to achieve that same consistency to continue to be an attacking threat, uh, he's still young. You know, he could play with Tacoma for another season or two before they really are calling upon him. But I think especially if the Sounders want to continue playing with a three-back formation with wingbacks as a primary approach for the first team, then he's going to be a good option going forward. Yeah, I guess we basically, Tim and I, uh, uh, I think this was uh, before we hit record. Jeremiah was joking, there's no way there could be 15 former Defiance players on the roster next year. But if they decide to get up to that 26 or so people on the roster, like they eventually do most seasons, um, maybe 10. Yeah, and that, that does and kind of... It basically be backups along every part of the back line and maybe the fourth forward. And and then you have Josh Atencio and Danny Leva as well. And uh, Purity Delem. Uh as a former S2 player and all of a sudden you're like every backup uh, with Serrano and Villanueva wouldn't be terribly surprising. And a dinner in. I I suppose that's true. Uh, And I think that in some ways, maybe that is what the Sounders would like to do is stock the roster with as many S2, like stock the depth of the roster with as many S2 kind of defiance or uh, defiance slash Academy products that they could, that they can, because it just gives them a ton of roster flexibility uh, on the high end of the of the roster. Because you can have these guys that are signed to relatively either off off budget or low cap numbers, and you know, so so maybe that's yeah. I, I don't think that that's a totally unforeseeable future at some point. I don't know if next year is the year that we start to see it really come full come go fully that way. But like, I look at the roster this year and I think it's something getting pretty close to the ideal where they have, you know, they have a handful of regular contributors who came through the, the organization and then they fill around them like their stars and, and some of the, uh, some veteran depth uh, here and there, like a Kellen Rowe or something like that. But you could see a, a player like Kellen Rowe, like that position you could see eventually being filled by, uh, you know, like an organizational player. I did want to talk about two more specific players though, before we, we kind of move into some bigger picture stuff. Uh, one of them was, we just wrote a story about yesterday, Reed Baker Whiting. Uh, he's apparently getting scouted by some of the biggest clubs in Europe. I don't, that's a, there's a big difference between being scouted and being pursued. And there's an even difference between being pursued and, and putting a, a contract offer. And there's nothing to suggest that, you know, Liverpool is is ready to hand the number 10 shirt to Reed Baker Whiting. But what have you seen from him this year at the Defiance? We haven't, we've seen him a little bit at the first team. I think he showed some promise, but 
he's not putting up gaudy numbers anywhere. I don't think he's actually got a goal or assist for, for either team. Yeah, he's a, I kind of disagree with that. The organization has done for him. I've always seen him as a six or eight with uh, strong dribbling skills, but the org has decided to play him in the, in those dual number 10 roles um, in, in those interior uh, or withdrawn midfielder positions. And I, I haven't seen anything besides he, he's done a good job of heading the ball onto runners, but I don't see him picking his head up and looking for passes. He's not a threat to shoot um, those underneath men. You need them to score. You need Freddie Montero, Christian Roldan, um, Nico Ladero. Like these are guys that are supposed to produce. Uh, they're supposed to be threats. And he is from, 16. He, true. He's 16, but also at the USL level, I, I think I've seen more from, Obed Vargas or Ethan Doubler when they're there. Um, seen a little bit more threat on goal, even from Juan Alvarez, who is also only 16. Um, so I, I think when you compare him to the other talent uh, in the USL championship, that similar age and in the role that he's at. Now, part of the reason they're putting him in that role is he's supposed to get more touches um, in space. He's supposed to learn from that. And so really that's what it's about for him. It's not about his performance. He has four shots. Fine. Um, I, I, I'm not going to think that he is um, being pursued by that level of team until we've seen one or two solid years from him. And that's fine because he's 16 and he can't move there until he's 18. And um, unless he becomes a U.S. senior national team player. So keep polishing him. He has a lot more value as a attacking players always have more value than defensive mid. So uh, figure out if, if he can develop into an attacking player that you basically just sell immediately do that. And if he becomes a six or eight as a bench role um, as like the next Danny Leva, that's still a success for the organization. So to me, um, he needs time and that's fine because he has plenty of it. So the other player you you met one of the players you just mentioned was another one I was I was curious to get your thoughts on is Obed Vargas. He's he's someone who we've heard you know talked about somewhat extensively uh, comparatively and he you can see he's got a, a build of a of an MLS player already. He's he's I think he's still only 15. No, he's 16. Uh he he did make his MLS debut. He hasn't been signed to an MLS contract. He's gotten a fair number of minutes. Tim mentioned he's really high up there in terms of duels, but how would you guys describe his game and, and how far along is he to being uh, potentially like a, an MLS level talent? I, I mean, I haven't watched as carefully as Dave has this season. Um, but I think if I was going to describe Obed Vargas's game and, one word I think the word would be fearless whether that's going into challenges as demonstrated by leading the team in duels when you've got a number of guys that I think I would have expected to see higher whether that's Carlos Anguiano or any of the center backs um but he also just is absolutely unafraid to dribble players at the USL level and I mean, I think it's always to some degree, it might get blown out of proportion a little bit now, but that's still a teenager 
just breaking ankles of dudes playing for their livelihood, uh, which is impressive to see a, a guy given responsibility. And within that responsibility, some of it is take guys on, create opportunities for the guys around you. And he does it with some degree of success. Yeah, he's been um, probably the second best of the defensive mids. Um, and it's interesting when he partners with Carlos Anguiano, who uh, I don't see being a Sounders MLS prospect, but I do see having a 10-year kind of USL championship career. I think Obed can learn a lot from Anguiano, the former T2 player, in that they're both kind of undersized for the position. And so they need to lower their hips and use that center of gravity to their advantage. They need to be fearless. And uh, Obed's got basically uh, fouls like three times a game because he he knows that that's sometimes the smart thing to do. Um, 25 tackles, 11 interceptions, very active. And I think copying Anguiano's game uh, is really good for Obed Vargas. And I know the, the word from all around uh, coaches throughout the organization is that Obed is uh, one of those students, uh, those, uh, to borrow from basketball parlance, the, he's a gym rat. Um, he'll study tape. He'll work out on his own. He, he'll be on the field extra um, unless there's a video session afterwards. And I think that bodes really well for his future. Um, he is one of those guys, um, about half of the USL signings that, that we've seen are guys uh, – I think Reed Baker Whiting is one of these that got signed purely because of potential um, and his practice habits during training camp. And I think with Obed, he will kind of bridge that. Like I'm certain he gets signed next year by the Sounders um, mostly because of potential, but he's already been a better performer than we saw when Ocampo Chavez, uh, Danny Leva, Reed Baker Whiting or Ethan Doubler signed um with the sounders obed's already been a better usl player than those guys were when they signed now they had national team appearances and some other things that kind of spurred that but um he is uh he's one of those that's that's hungry to be uh not just to be a professional soccer player to be but to be a very well paid professional soccer player if that makes sense um there's kind of a level where uh, a player can sign this USL deal and think, well, now I'm a pro and that's, that's enough. And I don't see that from Obed. I see a guy who uh, sees this as step one and MLS as step two and wants to be further than that. So that brings us into, you know, we've listed off, I don't know, uh, maybe close to 10 players already. We haven't even gotten into some of the, the younger guys that are on the team and what do you think the future is? I mean, is the future that all these players are going to potentially end up on the Sounders or is there, are the Sounders going to, are we going to start seeing the Sounders selling a lot more players, like kind of like a Henry Wingo situation or, you know, whatever else. I mean, what, what, what do you imagine? How do you imagine this playing out in five years? Let's just say. I think it's going to be a good mix of both. I think some of that is going to change if the rumored future where the Sounders don't field a USL team and are only fielding an MLS reserve team 
just because I think that's a, it's going to be a lower level of competition. You're not going to get as good of a test for those guys, but Garth Lagerway has already talked about, you know, loaning guys out to give them a new challenge to see what their level is. And I think when they're doing that, you're going to have it become much more common for the club that either those guys come back and they get a first team deal and they start getting playing time because they've proved that they're ready or they get bought, whether that's by the team that loaned them or by a, you know, a lower to mid tier European team that sees potential there, like Henry Wingo, to your point. Um, I, I think as this pipeline continues to mature um, it is just inevitably going to mean more player movement. Yeah. The, Tim brought up the, uh, the loanies and that was something that we wanted to talk about. I think that kind of loanee to sale program is probably something that fits for Soda Kitahara. Um, who's playing quite well with the, I'm going to mess it up, but, but the, uh, the Austrian side over there, uh, basically starting every game and contributing as a defensive midfielder, who's, uh, incredibly solid at that level it makes sense to, to sell Soda or should sign him to an MLS deal when he comes back. Uh, Ezreal Gonzalez has basically revitalized his career up in uh, Edmonton, where um, he has been responsible for game-winning goals and is exactly the midfielder that was expected from him after so long. Um, and that yeah, Three goals, earns, three assists there. Yeah, I mean, it probably he's... earns... He's on a team with guys who have been, you know, not top tier, but legitimate MLS players. And he is genuinely the best player on that team. And with a former MLS coach, not necessarily that he did well, but he was an MLS coach for a little while too. Um, so that's a guy, that's a great move for uh, Azzy. I think that uh, I don't expect him to be back in this organization. If you do the math, I think that this is his fifth year under contract. Um, he's only 20 but uh, he was the first 15 year old to be signed to a pro deal within the organization. Um, so he's been around forever. And I think that the move to Edmonton uh, means that he will get a time with an independent USL championship side, or maybe he stays up in the CPL. Maybe he enjoys Edmonton or somebody else comes along and offers him a deal. Uh, it was good for him. I think that one of the things that people miss about the, the Sounders is that they have um like two dozen guys that have gone pro scattered around the world. Um, maybe they weren't good enough to be sounders or maybe the sounders weren't the right fit for them. But uh, Ugo Akoli won a USL championship MVP at one point and is still playing well in the championship now that he's back there, uh, for example. So Ezreal might follow that path. Um, you know, they basically resurrected Justin Dillon's career. Uh, when it looked like the Galaxy 2 were going to give up on him. Got him a two, two years in, in MLS, and now he's a solid contributor to one of the better teams in the USL Championship. So those are the kinds of successes that can happen. And then, unfortunately, uh, you know, if we review the loans, uh, Trey Muse um, was kind of struggling and then got injured. And um, I think Shannon Hopio probably wishes that he hadn't gone on loan because I think there would have been minutes available for him, uh, particularly during the injury crises, um, the kind of two waves of injury crisis that the Sounders have gone through. Uh, Shannon could have contributed there. 
you think Shandon would have been a an MLS contributor? You're saying? Uh, well, they signed Juan Alvarez, Obed Vargas, Alex Villanueva, and Samuel Adinaran for various points. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess weekend. he might have been on the raw. I'm I'm a little less convinced he would have been playing, but yeah, you're right. He probably would have gotten some well, maybe roster as much spots. As, as much as one of those guys, right? So, sure, yeah. Which isn't which, um, which isn't much. I think to be certainly fair, that's, as, that's as much as he's contributed to San Antonio as well. Yeah, cer- certainly between Tacoma and the Sounders, he would have played definitely more than he has in San Antonio. Yeah, that's it's not not gone well for him. I guess was the the takeaway from there. But yeah, I mean, it, it does it opens up an interesting world, and I would imagine the Sounders will be doing like it's it'll be interesting what happens with Azriel Gonzalez. I think he's probably the best example of this right now, where you know he's he's having a good time or he's playing well in Canada. Like, do the sound? Do you think this is a situation where would the Sounders sell him or the Sounders? I guess the, or the Defiance essentially would they sell him to Canada? Would they just continue to loan him there with some sort of like option? What do you, what do you see that? How does that play out, Dave? Uh, I uh, the, the USL contract situation is even more like length of period of time is even more obfuscated than MLS contracts. Um, he is either out of contract at the end of this year or would have a one-year option left depending on when various uh, extensions uh, were made. If they have a one-year option left, Sounders should absolutely take it up on it and then sell him. Um, if he's out of contract, then it's it's and, good for him because yeah, he can make twice what he's made in the USL by playing in the Canadian Championship or with a, a high-quality USL championship team, um, which he clearly has earned in just his like month and a half up in Canada. Um, so it depends on like the move has been good for him. The best loan move probably in the history of the Seattle Sounders has been Azrael Gonzalez to Edmonton. And the second best has been Soda Kitahara to, uh, FC Penson. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, that's probably a good place to call this. Uh, it's been interesting spending a whole show talking about defiance. We're going to try to do this, you know, at least one more time this year, I think. Uh, but we we are paying attention. Uh, it's just, you know, it it it's we we don't get to talk about them enough. I suppose is the way I'll I'll leave that. Uh, but I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off on behalf of Dave Clark and Tim Foss. We will catch you next time.